0: Forever. Dog. Comic books, comic time. Writers and artists are on the line. They make a splash as a comic's red and take us on a trip behind the spread. Watch out for comic book commentary. Uh-huh. Spinning a winning inside Fix How they got a hot idea? Narrative, character, visual tricks and Bam. onomatopoeia. Uh huh. It's comic book commentary. Hi, this is Mark Wade. I'm the co-author with Brian Augustin of Archie 55, a new five-issue series coming out from Archie Comics starting today, Wednesday, and monthly thereafter. Something we're very proud of. Brian and I had been approached last year to do Archie 1941 from the Archie Folks, which was a more dramatic take on Archie and his gang in the era of World War II and drafts and getting into the America getting into the global conflict and so forth. Some humor in it still, obviously, but, you know, played mostly for drama. And that was very successful for Archie. So they came back to us and asked us what else we'd like to do. Uh, Brian and I kicked a few things around, a few different eras. But Brian and I both are aficionados of early rock and roll. And so Archie 1955 made perfect sense to us. Uh, You know, Archie as a musician is certainly nothing new. He's been playing the guitar in comics for ever since, you know, the 40s and 50s, pick up a guitar every once in a while. But really in 1969 is when music and Archie became inextricably linked, when filmation uh, came to Archie Comics in the late 60s with an idea of doing an Archie Saturday morning cartoon show, but with live songs written by live people, performed by live people, uh, with cartoon the cartoon backing. So in other words, uh, you know, real songs. Sugar Sugar was the number one song of nineteen sixty-nine, and there are several others, and I am not completely proud to say that I own all of their albums to this day. But the group was fronted by a man named Ron Dante who went on to do other groups like the Cufflinks and a few others. Uh again, not an uncommon phenomenon back in the fifties and sixties of artists being anonymous and singing under group names that were made up by the studio. This was no exception. Uh, but ever since then, obviously, Archie and the Archie gang have been there at the, at the drums, the guitar, and the bass. And uh, so Archie 1955, the beginnings of rock and roll, made the perfect sense to us. On page one, Brian's little nod to uh, Citizen Kane, sort of doing the framing device of the whole thing being a story told after the fact, and the mystery woman delivering the story and what is her what is her connection to all this As we will find as we go pages two and three Brian's lyrics Um, I had no idea Brian had a songwriter buried in him I've known him forever and yet so really good stuff the only thing I had to do was Changed a couple of the song titles so they weren't close to super obscure rock and roll songs and that's my entire complete contribution to these lyrics with which we could not have done a series so thank you Brian and man on page 4 do I love watching the B wig out it's, you know that was again we're going to go back to the era and I'm explaining this this to you in case you were born after like 1975 Dancing back then, school dances, they used to literally put a Coca-Cola bottle between couples as they were dancing to make sure that they were standing far enough away from each other. And they weren't touching too much, God forbid. That's how uptight that era was. And so when Archie launches into his rock and roll licks, of course the bee loses his mind because this was not a respectable form of music back in the day. This is in the earliest days when it was all... You know, supposed to be a prim and proper society and, you know, teenagers are still being teenagers, but they're you know, watchable a lot more closely by adults and their mores and values were very conservative compared to what we have today, obviously. So the idea of rock and roll, man, that's just off of uh, off the charts. Nobody be doing that back in the day. It was really sinful, if you will. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. This is all historical fact. I mean, Elvis, who led the pack, couldn't be shown but from the waist up on television because it was judged by TV producers and TV censors that the swaying of his hips would cause young girls to faint and swoon and do awful things and have awful thoughts, which is, of course, patently ridiculous or maybe not, but maybe not such a bad thing. At the uh, the end of page five, you know Archie gets his first little taste of that with a little girl uh, blowing him a little kiss, giving him a little preview of what rock and roll singers might actually expect back in in the day, and to this day too. Page six, we introduce Mister Rick Sterling of WKKL, the local Riverdale station. This was not an uncommon thing back in the back in the early days of rock and roll. Disc jockeys were very supportive. They had a lot more control over playlists back in the day. Programmed their own music, and so they would play local bands. They would play local acts. They would get involved in promoting local concerts. Uh, they would. Some of them became agents. Some of them became managers or or producers because uh, they knew what was good. They they knew ahead of the rest of the pack what was going to set the kids on fire. And Rick hosting the top 20 or it's hot 20, I suppose, another phenomenon of the mid fifties, there were still record charts, billboard record charts in the forties, but it really wasn't until the rock and roll era hit that disc jockey started keeping charts. A lot of times based on local record play, a lot of times based on national sales, uh, in the earliest days, really just kind of faked also, but mostly out of just local observation, local listening to what kids are calling in for keeping track of requests. Something that Casey Kasem perfected. Then in the in the nineteen seventies with American Top Forty, pages seven and eight. Archie talking to his mom and dad. This was surprisingly tricky to write as a scene because Archie would want to be very explosively excited about what was going on, and he'd want to argue with his parents that this was something real and something big, and and uh, not take their sort of belittling of rock and roll. Seriously, you would want to talk back. But back in the day, again, you didn't talk back. It would be, you know, we, we didn't want Archie to... We wanted Archie to be demonstrative. But at the same time, it wouldn't have been really faithful to the era if he had gotten in there with some back talk or sass or whatever you would call it if you were my great-grandfather. Uh, so it's, it's always tricky writing Archie that way. He's got to have a little bit of an edge. He's got to be a little bit of a dope sometimes. He's got to be a little... Thoughtless and a little careless from time to time because he's a teenager and if he's not those things then it's really disingenuous. At the same time, you don't want Archie to be the villain. You don't want Archie to be a complete ass. You don't want Archie to be a bad guy. So it's a constant, uh, constant tightrope walk I found writing Archie over the years. Not always easy to succeed, but we tried our best. <coughs> Moving ahead to page nine. Pop's Chocolate Shop, the place where kids would gather. Again, being born in the 60s, I don't really know for sure whether or not teenage kids all hung out at the local malt shop after school every single day. This may be true. It may also just be something that we were all impressed upon with by happy days. We don't know. Let's assume it's the case. It's always been the case in the Archie comics anyway. Kids getting together at Pop's Chocolate Shop. That's where they would all gather. And here... Pop, as always, supportive, not gruff, not jerky. He he likes his kids. He likes these kids to be around. He enjoys the youthful energy. And they're on page 10 when he's uh, looking at that jukebox and noticing that it's really just taking up space and maybe something else could go there. That's something that's going to lead us into issue two and show Pop's, Pop's solidarity with the kids. On page 11, enter Veronica Lodge. Veronica is also surprisingly difficult to write sometimes, I find, because in my experience, uh, she has to be super sharp about matters of finance, money, business, because she's being taught by her dad. Her dad, you know, she's the only child, and her dad is looking to her to take over Lodge Industries at one point somewhere down the line. Maybe not in the 1955 series, because back then it would have been unheard of for a woman to run a, a company like that. But still, Veronica's always been a uh, daddy's girl, so she's got to be really sharp about that kind of stuff. At the same time, she's got to be really just completely flummoxed by ordinary people stuff, like doing laundry or you know, you know, having sock ops or whatever the the normal kids do, the little, the little, whatever the little people do. Not really Veronica's thing. Page twelve. Brian's gag, complete straight knockoff of the way Elvis was a driver for Crown Electric back in 55 as he was waiting for his big break. Stole that lock, stock, and barrel. Fine by me. And page 14 really gets us into what I think is the meat of this whole issue. And again, all props to Brian. This was his idea of acknowledging the fact that uh, we're not going to whitewash this. We're not going to presume to fool you into thinking that these kids wrote their own songs. Are that all these you know happy peppy white uh young entertainers like pat boone or frankie avalon or you know, elvis that all that stuff came out of their own heads it's not the case i mean this is all rhythm and blues it's all older music uh mostly created by african-american artists and back in the day uh, not much was thought of white artists just appropriating that stuff we went back and forth on this a little bit, but not much. I think Brian had the right instincts. Let's not perpetuate that myth and go too heavy with it. But, you know, we want Archie to acknowledge that's the root of this music. So taking him across the tracks, his friendship with Chuck, his going to the high note uh blues bar and really seeing for himself where this music came from. That was uh that was good. That was good on Brian's part. And I I wish I'd thought of that. Thank you, Brian. Uh, man, look at Tom Grummet. Look at those. Look at that kinetic energy he gives to these people playing instruments. that He's remembering something, and always has, because again, I've I've known Tom forever. But what he remembers and what this evokes for me is early Archie stuff, and what this evokes for me uh, personally is the work of Harry Lucy, who is my all-time favorite Archie artist of the 1950s, 60s. Uh, his stuff was so energetic and so animated even on you know these the still page. Uh, he had a sort of a rule that no one was allowed to be in a panel even in the background unless they were doing something or serving some purpose and moving. Nobody nobody in a Harry Lucy story was ever just standing there watching what was going on. And boy, you know, watching Tom Draw on page 16 and 17, these guys cutting up the floor. it's really good. So everything looks like it's coming up all roses for uh, Mr. Andrews. And it's all going to be smooth sailing from here on out until you get to page 19. Uh, Because this was also the reality of the time. I mean, it wasn't the Elvis Presley trio. It was Elvis and Red West and backup singer or two whose names you don't readily remember. Uh, Buddy Holly, we know by name, but I defy you to name any of the crickets that sang back up for him. Jughead wants to believe the best. He's his best friend. He wants to believe that Archie's not going to leave them behind on his big catapulted rise to fame. And he may or may not, but again, we're trying to pew fairly straight to the era and tell the story of how these young rock and rollers really did live their lives. And page 20 is just the perfect code of the issue. It's just... Archie sitting there, strumming the guitar, writing his songs, and no idea of what tomorrow's going to bring. I do love the extra added touch in the upper right-hand corner of the fact that he's reading a Black Hood comic book from Archie Comics from the 1940s. Nice going, Tom. Also, for those of you born after 1985, there in the lower left-hand corner, that's what we call a record player. And those are record albums on the floor. Anyway, that's Archie1955. Uh, again, thanks for listening to the podcast. Thanks for buying the book. Thanks for reading along. We hope you've enjoyed it. And we look forward to seeing you at the stores next month with Archie55 number two. Forever. Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Engineered by Chelsea Jacobson and mastered by Anna Rubinova. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com. And subscribe to our shows on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.